Glad to be here this morning to begin a new sermon series. I want to let you know, I know many of you are probably far more advanced in technology than I am. I do, as most of you have seen, I use my iPad for my sermon notes. I use it a lot for sermon study, just having a, a Bible readily accessible. And I want to let you know, if you are one of those people who use their phone or their Kindle or their iPad for their scriptures, that's okay. It's still God's Word. It just glows more. But feel free to use that. I also want to let you know, if you are one of those people who has a Twitter account, now some of you are going, oh, what? Uh, This doesn't mean you. If For those of you who have Twitter accounts or Facebook accounts, if you ever want to tweet or make a comment on something that was said or something that God said to you on Sunday morning during the service, I want to invite you to do so. Go ahead and do that. Now, if what you want to do instead is play Angry Birds... Only the people that laugh have any clue what Angry Birds is. Or just surf the net. That's probably not such a good idea. But, but it's okay to let people know what's going on and what God is saying to you because uh, you might forget it before you leave. And so you have my permission to do that if you'd like uh, as you try to connect with the world and, and carry what God says to you a little further than just you to try to share it with other people. Now, there are a lot of people that have, now I have a Twitter account. Mine is at Jimmy Long, okay? So you can, you can follow me on Twitter if you'd like, but I want to go ahead and tell you, I only have a few followers. I only have a few followers. There are a lot of people who have many more followers than I do. Uh, I didn't go back and check this, but a lot of these celebrities, they will have tens of thousands of followers on a Twitter account. A Twitter account just allows you to send pictures or little thoughts or what I'm doing. You know, I'm eating at, eating at Pizza Hut. I don't do that, but, I mean, some people are so detailed. I mean, I'm eating at Pizza Hut. You know, there are six pieces of pizza, six pieces of pepperoni on this one slice. They tweet really ridiculous things. But there are people who have a lot of followers, people like uh, uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise and I share the exact same birthday, and Nancy, for a long time, was very disappointed that he and I didn't get swapped in the cribs. Tom Cruise and I um, are not the same person. I'm taller than he is. Now, I realize that she probably regretted that we didn't get swapped for a long time in the crib, but now having seen what, you know, what's going on in Tom Cruise's life, I may look pretty good to her. So, so I don't, well, well, she and I will talk about that later, but we focus a lot in our culture on celebrities. As a matter of fact, I think in a lot of ways our culture is very celebrity obsessed. We really want to know what's going on in the lives of, of famous people. And the sad thing about that is we probably know more about Miley Cyrus and Kim Kardashian and Tom Cruise than we know our own U.S. history, than we know our founding fathers, than we know the members of our government, than we know what's going on in the Middle East. We're far more concerned with those, uh, those things that, to be honest, are quite trivial matters in the whole scheme of things. But we're really focused on celebrities. We pay attention to them. And if you don't believe me, get in line at the grocery store and look what's on the magazine covers as you go out. It's just full of celebrities. Or notice the so-called reality shows on television. It's all about 
celebrities and putting celebrities in different situations and letting them dance and do other dangerous things. Uh, There's a lot of stuff about celebrities going on. If you're on the internet, you know that the leading searches have to do with whoever the top celebrity is at that moment, whoever's in the news, whoever's gotten pregnant or had a, a wardrobe malfunction. Those are the people that get the headlines and it overwhelms those other important issues of life. We're celebrity obsessed and there are a lot of psychologists that have tried to figure out why it is. And there's no one answer. Some people say that it's because our lives are so drab and dull that we look at celebrities and we are enthralled by their lifestyles, the clothes that they wear, the cars that they drive, the homes that they live in, the lifestyle that they live, the the eye candy on their arm, that that is what we're enthralled by. And therefore, Uh, We kind of look at them and admire them and want to be like them because our lives are so dull and boring. Now, there's on the the other side of the coin, there is the, the idea that one of the reasons that we're fascinated by celebrities is when we look at their lives and the mess that they make of their lives, that we actually feel better about ourselves, that maybe I'm not so messed up after all. And certainly there are people who admire, look at celebrities and because they want to be a part of a group. They want to have something to talk about. Everybody talks, they have something in common with somebody, something to talk about by the coffee pot, by the water cooler, in the, in the beauty shop or on the golf course. We talk about these famous people and it gives us some sense of identification, almost like being football fans. I know um, a few years back, they, there was a book series and a movies at Twilight and they actually, there were teams. What, what were the two teams? Team Edward and what? Okay, you watch way too much stuff. No, I'm just kidding. No, that is exactly, you did exactly what I wanted you to do. Uh, team Edward, Team Jacob. Now, I'm on neither team. I don't know either of those guys, but I understand one's a vampire and one's a werewolf. So, hey, you can't go wrong with either one of those, right? But, but we're, we're celebrity obsessed. We're focused on celebrities, on the, on the stars. We're watching the stars, what's going on in their lives. We want to begin today to focus a little bit more on someone who didn't come to be a celebrity. He drew crowds, but oftentimes he'd pull away from the crowd intentionally, retreat from the crowds because he didn't want to be crowned their king. He didn't want to be a star. He didn't come to be a celebrity. Jesus was tempted by Satan to go up onto the peak of the temple and to jump off. And Satan said, you know, the angels will catch you. And what a spectacle that would make for you to get up on the top of the temple and to just dive off and to see these angels swoop down from heaven and to catch you so that your foot doesn't strike the ground. Wouldn't that wow the crowds? Wouldn't that get tongues wagging? Wouldn't that get people uh, excited about who you are and what you can do? And instead of saying, you know, that sounds like a good idea. That could be a shortcut to kind of get everybody to know who I am and to get a little attention. Instead of doing that, he actually rebukes Satan, basically saying that he was not there to make a spectacle out of God. He wasn't there trying to impress people. And that is not why Jesus came to impress people and to be a celebrity. In fact, Jesus knew full well who he was. 
Jesus knew full well why he came. And to be a celebrity most assuredly was not it. Jesus made it clear in his first sermon why he came. Quoting the prophet Isaiah, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. Now listen, to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the prophet of Isaiah and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, folks, this is why I'm here. I didn't come to be a star. I didn't come to be a celebrity. This is why I came. And we need to hear that this morning. It's important because Jesus wasn't trying to make headline news. He came to fulfill his father's mission to touch the lives of the poor, the shackled, the wounded, the oppressed. He didn't come to be honored by the well-to-do or the well-dressed. But instead, he came to serve the least of these and to give them a hope for a new life in him. Jesus didn't come to be a celebrity. He came instead to be a servant. He said of himself in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let that soak in. The reason Jesus said he came was not to be served. He deserved to be served. Think about it. Think about who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the, he's the Prince of Heaven. He did not come to be served, but to serve. That's why he showed up. Didn't want to be a celebrity. Didn't want to be a star. Came as a servant. And folks, I want to say as we begin this new sermon series called I Serve, I want to say to you that Jesus sets the tone and the example for us in our lives. As we live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, in Matthew chapter 20, if we back up, which we'll do in just a few moments, Jesus talks to his disciples and he predicts to them his death by crucifixion, but also his resurrection. Now, you would think that if your master, your rabbi, your teacher uh, came and sat down with you one day and just said, hey, guys, got something I want to tell you. I want to let you know that uh, I've come and uh, we, I've enjoyed kind of hanging around with you, but the time's coming that I'm going to be taken to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. Uh, but <laughs> the third day I'm going to rise again. You would think at that point they would have said, tell us more. <laughs> We'd like to know a little bit more about that. But instead, they went off on a tangent. They had something else completely different on their mind because they're thinking the kingdom's coming. And when the kingdom comes, I want to make sure I've got my share of the pie. I want to make sure that, that I get my rightful position in the kingdom. And they began to argue among themselves which one of them was the greatest. Now think about that. How ridiculous. Here it is. Jesus has just told them something that radically changes the fabric of the universe as they know it. And all they could think about was which one of them was going to get the biggest slice of the pie. Who was going to be first in line? That was their thinking. 
And so we read in Matthew 20, 25 to 27, Jesus called them together and he said to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, guys, do you know how it bugs you when the Romans come in and they march around here in their fancy uniforms and they have no problem stealing from you? They have no problem mistreating you. They have no problem oppressing you. You remember that? Do you remember how their officials come in and they're dressed all in their nice robes and they come in, they order you around and they come in, they treat you like dirt. Do you remember that guys? And do you remember about some of your own Jewish brothers, how they kind of joined sides with them and they've become tax collectors? Pardon me, Matthew. They've become tax collectors. They've become part of that government. They've become a part of the oppression. Do you know how that makes you feel? Well, guys, don't be like that. Because that's not how I acted with you. And that's not how I want you to act with them. If you really want to be great, Jesus said, then become a servant, one who serves others. And if you want to be first in line, if you want to be the top dog, let me tell you how you get there, by becoming a slave, someone who's bound to others. You see, Jesus was trying to teach them that greatness was not based on power, which was their thinking. You got power, you're great. Greatness was not based on position. If you're first in line, if you're sitting on your head of the class, then that's, that's where the power is. That's not power. Greatness was not being able to boss people around. Instead, greatness is about serving others. Not by force, but by choice. This is important. And not with hatred in your heart, but with love. Think about this for a moment. What Jesus is saying is, you serve others, but we need to see what the attitude behind it is. It is a choice that we make to serve others. It is not that we are coerced into serving others. We choose to serve them. Totally different thing. Now, it's it's like when your kids are little and they come up out of nowhere and crawl in your lap and say, Daddy, Mama, I love you. Do you know how that that feels? But do you also know how it feels when you try to get them to say it? And they finally do, but it's kind of reluctant. It's like, okay, I'll say it if you'll let me go. That's kind of what we're talking about here. There's a difference between saying I love you and being forced to say I love you. There's a difference between serving and being forced to serve. The attitude that we have. You can serve someone and do the exact right thing, but hate them while you're doing it. This is not what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about being a servant. So now when Jesus gathers with his disciples and he's there at the last supper, prior to his crucifixion, Prior to his resurrection, of course, 
an amazing thing happens. And, and that's what I want us to fix our attention on this morning. The disciples had all come. Everything was set up. They were reclined at the table, which is how they ate. They didn't, when you see the, the nice pictures of the disciples sitting in chairs, that's not exactly how it happened. They had cushions on the floor, a low table. They reclined at the table. They were all there ready to have their meal together. But one thing was missing. The fried chicken. No, you know the story. One thing was missing. There was no servant there to wash feet. That was part of the entire um, meal. That you had your feet washed because you were reclining at the table. And therefore your feet were not tucked underneath in shoes. But instead, no sandals, your feet close to someone else. It's a nice thing to have your feet washed in a situation like that. There was no one there to wash feet. If you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to open up to John's Gospel, the 13th chapter. I'd like us to see what happens here. John chapter 13. We begin to look at verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, we read, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God And was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Now we're going to skip over this little encounter with Simon Peter. Not that it's not important, but I want to get down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet... He put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set before you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I'll tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. When I read this, I don't care how many times I read it, I am blown away by what Jesus does in this circumstance. And I don't know if you caught it. I don't know if you saw it. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew the power that he had. All authority was his. He knew that. He knew that he had come from God and that he was going to be returning to God. Knowing all that, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, And he began to wash the disciples' feet. 
The Bible emphasizes for us that Jesus knew full well who he was and the power that he had. This was not an inferiority complex. This was not, as you used to see on soap operas, some case of temporary amnesia. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew the extent of his power. And he chose to wash his disciples' feet. The lowliest and most humiliating of acts. An act which his disciples likely thought was beneath them. You did notice that none of them said, oh, Jesus, I got this. I'll take care of this. No. They argued with him about doing it, but Peter didn't say, listen, let me do it. Let me take care of this. Because Peter didn't want to wash the disciples' feet. It was not a pleasant experience. When we do kind of a foot washing type ceremony, sometimes you've been a part of things like that. When you do that, typically, you know, you got a basin, you kind of dip a person's foot in the water and you dry it off with a towel. And, and that's a meaningful, symbolic kind of act. But that wasn't what Jesus was doing. Jesus was washing their calloused, smelly feet. Peter didn't want to do it. The rest of his disciples didn't want to do it. There's nobody to pay to do it. Jesus saw it needed to be done, and knowing full well who he was, he chose to do it himself. And when Jesus finished, he asked, Now, do you understand what I've done for you? You're sitting there with your mouths dropped open that I would do this, but do you understand it? I'm the Son of God, the Prince of Heaven, the eternal I am. And knowing full well who I am, I knelt down and washed your feet. I served you willingly. I did it as an expression of love for you, as an example for what you need to be doing to your brothers. If I do this for you, is there anything that is beneath you to do? For others. If Jesus would do that for us, is there anything too lowly for us to do for others? As Rick said earlier, we began a new series of messages called I Serve. That title is important for two reasons. Number one, it's a statement about service. It does not say, I want to serve. It does not say, I'd like to serve. It does not say, I plan to serve. Instead, it says, I serve. Because Jesus was a servant. Because I follow Jesus, I serve. It is a natural part of my life as one who follows Jesus Christ. I serve. Serve. Now you notice the I is in lowercase. Now, I apologize to Apple Computer and hopefully I won't get sued for it. They kind of put the little I in front of everything. iPod, iPad, I, you know, whatever it is. They kind of put the I in front of it, iPhone. And so I've borrowed that, but I borrowed it for this reason. Because it is a little I. It is in small case. Our alphabet, our personal alphabet, not the one we learned in school, 
Our personal alphabet has a capital I and a small U. Jesus turned those around. Instead, we're to have a big U and a small I. How do I know that? God's word teaches us that. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Small I, big U. Jesus calls us to turn our alphabet around. What is most important is not what I am in the eyes of others, but who I am in Jesus. Don't miss it. We measure our worth by what people think of us, by what we wear, by how we talk, by the kind of car we drive, the place that we live. People are looking at us and they're making judgment calls on our value, our worth, but what I am in the, li- in the eyes of others doesn't compare with who I am in Jesus Christ. Here's why Jesus served so willingly. He knew who he was. It didn't matter what the disciples thought about that act. He knew who he was. Serving did not change the fact that he was the prince of heaven. And serving will not change the fact of who you are in Jesus Christ. The Bible calls you a royal priesthood. Royal, you know what royalty is? We don't have a king. We don't have a queen, queen in the United States, but we have a king in heaven. And we're in his family, which means you and I are royalty. We are princesses and princes. That's who we are. And we've got to remember that. And when it comes time to clean toilets in Jesus' name, when it comes time to wipe tears and runny noses in Jesus' name, When it comes time to pick up trash in Jesus' name. When it comes time to hug on somebody who hadn't had a bath in three weeks in Jesus' name. We don't need to be concerned about what people will think about our act. We need to know who we are and act on behalf of Jesus. It is not what we are in the eyes of others that is most important, but who we are in Jesus Christ that is most important. And so during the month of December, uh, December, we're going to take this a long time, aren't we? During the month of September, let's not get carried away. During the month of September, we're going to focus on serving. It's going to be where we land for a while. And we're going to be challenged by the example we see in Jesus. But more than that, we'll be called to serve. To serve the body of Christ and to serve our community and our world. And what we're going to find is that service is motivated by love, but that it can build bridges for us to tell, the other, tell other people about Jesus Christ. I need to be honest with you. Serving's not easy. I learned this a long time ago. When my dad asked me to rake the yard or my mom asked me to take out the trash. Well, they didn't really ask me, but you get the point. There were a whole lot of other things that I wanted to do rather than serving them. Watch Gilligan's Island. 
go out and play with my friends, shoot basketball in the backyard, beat up my brother. All kinds of things I could think of is a whole lot better than serving my family. And when it comes time that Jesus lays a burden on your heart to serve others, there will be a whole lot of other things that you'd rather do. A whole lot of other things that sound a lot more fun. A whole lot of other things that won't get you quite as dirty and messy. So listen again to what Jesus says to us today. I've set before you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. When we're called to serve, it won't be glamorous and it could be messy. But don't miss this. Jesus has promised blessings to those who serve him. Out of a heart of love, in humility, and willingness. And that sounds like a pretty good trade to me.